This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. What does it mean to help your clients with hedging risk and exposure? What is risk? You know, people people have different definitions of risk. Like what I may find risky, it might be absolutely normal for you. And the main thing that a lot of people forget, especially in business, and I'm not just talking about trading or commodities, etc., blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about in business, people need to make sure that the best way to hedge against any kind of risk is to let go of emotion. Simple as that. The moment that you get emotion to come into the picture, that's it. You're done. You can't be a trader. And that is, and that that happens in a lot of different scenarios. You know, hedging is basically just a it's 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 a management strategy. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Joseph Sahib Youssef. You help your clients hedge risk and exposure. You manage highly complex multi-party and international contract negotiations. And you're a business-to-business -business specialist. Joseph, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, it's an absolute pleasure and honor to be invited on uh, American Real. Uh, Roger, it's, it's such a pleasure. Uh, you know, the moment you reached out to me, I was like, um, I have seen you actually talking to some amazing people from around the world. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's, it's an honor. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Looking oh, forward the, to it. The feeling is mutual. I've, I've been following you recently on LinkedIn. You're putting out some incredible work. And I'm so happy to be connected. And you're on the other side of the world. You're in Singapore. Pretty much. 12, 12 hours of uh, time difference. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's fine. I, I mean, uh, a lot of my friends actually say that I actually function on American time because I actually sleep at about 3, 4 a.m. my time, which is about 3, 4 p.m. your time, right? So they're like, you know, you're just born in the wrong continent, mate. <laughs> no, and when we scheduled this interview, you actually said, let's push yeah. it till later. So I was surprised, but uh, I could see now that you're you're really in your zone at this time of night. Always, mate, always. Uh, I mean, between about 11 o'clock to about three o'clock in the morning is my is my LinkedIn time. So uh, you're one of my amazing connections um, and, and friends uh, on, on LinkedIn. So it's it's a pleasure to be in this discussion with you. Fantastic. So, Joseph, let's talk. Let's go back. I, I don't typically start mm -hmm. here, but let's talk about your backstory. Can you talk a little bit about your upbringing and mm -hmm. what it was like growing up and kind of lead us into what you're doing today? And we'll definitely get into LinkedIn because I know it's a powerful tool for you and, and you know, millions of others around the world. But tell mm -hmm. us about your your upbringing. Interesting question. Uh, obviously, it, uh, it goes back uh, quite quite a few decades now. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an only child uh, of a single mother. I was born in Calcutta, India. Uh, so that is the, the eastern part of India. Um, so only child, single mother. My mom was also a single child of her parents. And, um, you know, I, I, I literally, I mean, being the only, uh, you know, being the son, I guess I was given every single thing that I've always wanted uh, by my mom. My mom was an educator. Uh, and uh, she, you know, she was used to be the, you know, the, an English teacher at my school. 
uh, back in Calcutta, and then uh, she became the principal of a school, and, and presently she's actually in, in politics, interestingly, in, in India. Uh, but, uh, you know, she's always been someone who's, who's given back to community, and that's, I think, something which has been embedded into me from a very young age. But, um, you know, I've, I've had a, 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 a myriad of different things which I've done throughout my, both my personal as well as my professional life, so to speak. Uh, I, you know, to, to go back and, you know, this actually brings back quite a few memories there, Roger. So, you know, I wanted to become an Air Force pilot uh, growing up. I was also actually admitted into the National Defense Academy. However, however, being the only grandchild, my grandma actually told me that, no, you are not going into the Air Force because just in case, if, you, if we get into a war and you die, then what's going to happen? So I, I let go of, of my, my childhood dreams. Uh, of becoming an Air Force pilot, and I completely switched into you know being a you know through and through science student in school. Um, I was never a topper. I was never in the, in the top five students in my class, uh, but I, I always used to be at least within the top uh, ten in general. But I always used to be an outstanding person. Now I'm not talking about you know grades wise, right? I, I used to be so naughty in school. I used to be standing outside the class most of the time. You know, by the teacher. So I used to be really outstanding in that respect. Um, but um, through and through science student, physics, chemistry, computers. And then, um, you know, for my uh, bachelor's, interestingly, uh, I was actually supposed to be uh, coming to uh, study in the United States, uh, Roger, just so you know. Um, my, because my, my aunt, my mom's first cousin, she actually lives in, in California, in Pasadena. So I was, I was supposed to actually go to UC Berkeley. Um, but, uh, you know, um, tore that off for some reason, uh, you know, I still have my, uh, my, uh, sort of invitation letters and everything, but, uh, and I, uh, ended up going to Australia. I always, for some reason, loved Australia. My, my, my love story with Australia sort of started when I was about 14 years old because I actually did a, um, so my mom and I we were very, very close, of course. And we did this, uh, really amazing, uh, sort of tour across Europe when I was 14 during the turn of the millennium. So that was in 1999, 2000. And uh, we did this uh, conducted tour across Europe. Uh, it was a bus tour and there were 35 people on the bus and out of them, 30, 30 of them were Australians. So that, that was the first time basically I, I had interacted with Australians at, at that time in my life, because prior to that, I was obviously, you know, based in India, based in Calcutta. And, um, you know, loved those guys, you know, very laid back, uh, you know, very friendly. And uh, so I think, you know, my, my, my sort of affinity, my liking towards people from Australia started from there. So um, when, I, when I ended up not coming to the US for my further studies, I was like, oh, I need to go to Australia. So what do I do? I, I ended up uh, going over to Melbourne and I started studying something which is completely out of my comfort zone completely out of my comfort zone. So I, I did uh, accounting and finance. Okay. Now, the reason why I'm saying completely outside my comfort zone, and this is something which uh, I think a lot of viewers actually don't know about me. Um, in school, especially in my last four years, so from uh, grade nine to grade 12, um, I never, I have never passed a single math test ever in my life, right? And, um, but uh, it's, it's very interesting because um, I was a CPA. Now, the reason I'm saying I was a CPA, a certified 
you know, practicing accountant is because uh, I've never actually worked in the accounting field, so to speak, in my professional journey or, or in, in the accounts department of any, any, any company or corporation at all. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't want to keep on paying uh, a yearly fee. That's the reason why I don't yet. I, I mean, I'm no longer, you know, specifically a CPA, but it's very interesting. A person who's never actually passed a math exam in his life in the last four years, he was actually a CPA and I was really good at what I did. But um, the thing which really, really uh, I'm passionate about is, is, is basically building relationships. So that's, that's where I think um, in, my, in my career, I've always focused on building relationships. I've always been in sales and business development and marketing um, and negotiation and strategy and risk management, uh, et cetera. They just basically you know, came bubbling up you know, along the way. But uh, you know, my, my core passion is people. I live, breathe, and bleed relationships, pretty wow. much. Joseph, that's awesome. What, a, what an amazing journey you've had. And I think it goes back yeah. to, to the days where you were young and you said, look, you, know, you, you, you were that person, right, that, that was the good communicator. You were that person mm -hmm. that I'm sure was a great friend. So that started from yep. an early age. Uh, coming from a single mom, do you think that mm -hmm. played into any of your, your personality of becoming a relationship person because you were so close? I think it's a great question, actually. I mean, I've not thought of it in that way, but I think uh, there's one thing for sure. I mean, I, I absolutely feel, and I, I don't, don't just say it, I actually mean it, that you know, I, I, I know and I feel and I believe that women are the true architects of society. I mean, I have, I have utmost respect for women. Uh, and I think that that stems from the fact that, um, especially with my mom, uh, obviously, I mean, teachers, I think, you know, in, in no country in the world, they are actually paid what they deserve, in my opinion. Right. Right. Uh, because because it's 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 something which is which is really horrendous. And I think especially during this time, uh, during this pandemic, which we're all going through, where we're basically having to teach our own own children at, at home. Right. And we, we are trying we are starting to appreciate the hard work that teachers actually do uh, to being able to, uh, you know, build the foundations of our lives not just our careers but our lives in general so um i mean she 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 never used to make a lot of money but uh the thing which she did was uh, she always wanted me to leave the country and and go abroad for my further studies mm. i never understood why uh because i was like you know i'm your only son why do you want me to go away from you um and stuff and she's like no i don't want you to stay uh, you know, in Calcutta or in India for that matter, because I want you to go and see the world. I want you to broaden your horizons. That's something which I could never do wow. I was gonna uh, say. You know, when I was younger. Right. And, and I want my son to actually, uh, you know, go out there, be independent, know what the world's like. And I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm so grateful to her because uh, Roger, I'm just to give you an example. So when I first moved to Melbourne, uh, back in 2003, uh, goodness, that's 17 years ago, uh, I actually cried the f for almost a week. And I'll tell you when I cried, I cried when I had to cook my own food. I cried when I had to wash my own clothes. I cried when I had to wash my own dishes because yes, you know, I'm coming from India, which is a developing country, etc. but I never had to do any of those things in my life. Like whenever, even if I had to get a drink of water, I could, I could actually shout out to one of my helpers saying, hey, can you give me a glass of water? 
I never had to do anything. So interestingly, I mean, for me to be able to get out of my comfort zone back in India and go into Australia, it actually made me realize what life is. It made me realize being independent. And uh, it gave me a lot of really, really important life lessons to be able to be respectful for people, regardless of, of the job that they do. Um, and that is something which, uh, which I guess, um, just honed in on, on, my, on my personality in being able to connect with people in a more meaningful manner. Wow. So I'm very grateful to my mom for actually pushing me uh, and getting me to leave the country at a very young age where, uh, you know, all of our friends and all of our relatives were like, you know, what are you doing? You know, he's 17, you know, let him go for his master's, let him do his bachelor's in India. I mean, interesting, just so you know, Roger, I mean, I, I have studied obviously in Australia, my bachelor's and master's and everything is in Australia. But, you know, the education system is in India is, I would say, far better, hmm. far better than Australia, than the UK, than the US. It's, it's more rigorous. It's more in-depth. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, so everyone's like, you know, let him do his, uh, his bachelor's here and let him go for his master's. And I was like, no. Nah. Uh, my mom was like, no, nah, he's going. Simple wow. as that. Wow. She had some yeah. really great uh, foresight in, in my, that's, that's wonderful. So. That's wonderful. It's interesting. I have to share a story with you. Last night, uh, my uh -huh. wife and, and our son went for a walk. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, I was flipping through my phone and they got a little bit ahead of me and I was just observing mm -hmm. them and they were having mm -hmm. such a wonderful conversation between the two of mm -hmm. them, you know, very natural. Mm -hmm. And I had said to my son when I caught up to them, I said, you know, when I was your age, my parents mm -hmm. never went on a walk with mm -hmm. me like this. I said, what, you know, what, what do you feel about this? You know, about, you know, just hang, he's 14 years old and. And he just, he said, I, I love spending time with mom. Yeah. So I think you're right. That, that mother-son bond is really crucial. The teacher to the student is really crucial at a, at, a, at a young age. So I'm glad Spot you shared on. that with us because uh, it, it is important, especially right now when so many mm -hmm. parents are educating their, their, their children at home. Exactly. Exactly. So Couldn't uh, agree more. So, okay, so uh, you're in Australia. How long did you actually spend there before you moved to your next mission? Well, I was in, I was in Australia for around 11 years, actually. Um, and then now I'm in Singapore for the last seven years. I'm actually uh, heading back to Australia uh, by the end of this year, Roger. Hopefully, hopefully once the borders are open. So I'm going to be heading back. Uh, back to Melbourne, you know, my, my good old, uh, you know, Wonderful. hunting ground, uh, playing ground, uh, you know, Melbourne's a, Melbourne's a place which I just literally call home. And uh, it's, it, it's, some, it, it's a place where literally I, you know, every time I talk about it, I, I have the, you know, the hairs on the back of my neck standing <laughs> up because I can just feel myself there. So I'm really passionate uh, about, uh, and I love, love the place. Uh, have you actually been to Australia? I have not. Said? That's somewhere I absolutely want to go. My wife actually yeah, you has must, family in Perth. So we, oh, right. okay. we have yeah. some relatives that we could visit there as well. Awesome. Awesome. May, uh, Melbourne, Melbourne's the place to be. You know, uh, you know, a place or a city doesn't get voted like eight years in a row as the most livable place in the world if there's not something amazing about it. So what's, what's your most favorite part about Melbourne? The most favorite part about Melbourne, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's a very interesting thing. I mean, it's something which in my opinion, a lot of people hate and a lot of people love. So Melbourne's called, the, is, is called the city of four seasons in a day. 
So it can be like really cold in the morning. It can be really hot in the afternoon. It can start raining like cats and dogs, like, uh, you know, late afternoon. And, you know, it, it, it can be like really nice and calm and balmy weather, like, like you find in, in California sometimes, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's called the city of four seasons in a day. But apart from that, I mean, Melbourne's got this, in my opinion, it's got this amazing mix of old school charm and, and, uh, and new age technology, if that makes sense. Mm. So it's got, that, it's got that really lovely balance of being, uh, you know, a, a Victorian place. Okay. Like, you know, you know straight out of, uh, out, of, out of Europe, straight out of, uh, out of the UK. Um, obviously, you know, Melbourne's the capital of the, of the state of Victoria. So, which makes it which makes it very more uh, you know much more interesting, but I think you know it's just the it's just the charm it's just a charming place. You know, people are laid back, uh, but people do their work. But they're very friendly. Love the coffees, world's best coffees, <laughs> Melbourne, without a shadow of a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. Starbucks had to close down in Melbourne, mate, because they couldn't, couldn't make it actually compete wow. with the local coffee shops. They had to close down. It sounds marvelous, and it sounds like it's a place I could settle right into so we'll definitely oh. have to make it a one of our absolutely uh, mate. absolutely stops. so i mean if, you, if, you, if you're coming sometime next year uh, i will i will receive we'll, you at the airport oh that right? would be wonderful we'll have to plan it awesome joseph absolutely so let's talk about your work uh, um, you're really good with hedging risk and exposure mm -hmm. bring us into that uh, of course your communication skills i'm sure yeah. are, are wonderful but yeah. but your background in accounting i'm sure all this journey uh, brought you to where you are today. What does it mean mm -hmm. to uh, help your clients with hedging risk and exposure? Great question. And uh, I'm going to actually start off with a story or rather of a, of a personal anecdote. So, I mean, you know, what is risk? You know, people, people have different definitions of risk. Like what I may find risky, it might be absolutely normal for you. So, I mean, risk, in my, opi in my opinion, is, is something which has to do with your own mindset and with your own opinion of how you look at aspect. So, I'll give you a real-world example. I used to play a lot of poker when I was in Melbourne. Uh, I played in the World Series of Poker and the WPT. No kidding. Uh, the, you know, yeah, uh, at, uh, at Crown Casino in Melbourne. And I actually learned to play poker at a very, I mean, um, I would say when I was like 19 years old. Uh, I was taught by a couple of my friends. But, uh, and I got really good at it. And my first experience with risk and hedging actually came at a poker table. I'll tell you how. Uh, I'm a very, very competitive guy, very competitive. Like uh, I've got a huge stubborn streak. I'm a Torian, so, you know. Makes sense. <laughs> That's all you have to stubborn say. Stubborn is like my middle name, right? But, uh, so my, my first uh, real world uh, example real world lesson training came at a poker table so you know i was playing poker and uh you know i was getting a couple of bad beats you know people who play poker would not you know you've got a good cards but you get you know outdrawn etc but uh and, and i just kept going at it going at it going at it right and i lost over two thousand dollars in a couple of hours in a cash game which was like a two three dollar buy in cash game um what i'm trying to say is here is like and 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 that was the first and the last day that I actually lost an amount of money, which I wasn't prepared to lose, if that makes sense. Yes. So what I used to do from after that time, I used to go to play poker once a week on a Saturday because I used to have a half day at work 
on a Saturday and it's to go for a couple of hours. And that's it, a couple of hours. It's not like I'm saying a couple of hours and I'm gonna stay the whole day, no. And that's how I started to hedge my exposure to risk. How did I do it? A couple of things which I did was like, I used to make sure I used to take out exactly $200 for a cash gain out of my wallet and I used to leave my wallet in the car. That's it. If I lose, I walk away, simple as that, right? And I used to set a timer on my phone to make sure that when it's two hours are up, um, I get up out of the table, simple as that. That, those little things were what basically made me realize that, you know, risk is everywhere, but the thing is, it's how you manage it and how you mitigate it. And that's the main thing. Because, you know, I was, I was hedging against basically losing more than 200, if that makes sense, at any given moment, but I was also hedging against the time frame. Now, if you, if you bring it back into real world or rather business scenarios, right? You've got obviously your, your futures options and your puts and your calls, et cetera, you know, on, on positions, on commodities, on, on, on asset classes, right. on investment classes worldwide. It's, what is hedging? Hedging is basically a way to ensure that you are mitigating your risk uh, from either losing too much or basically ensuring that you're taking profit. And that is exactly what it is. And a lot of people actually find hedging or feel that hedging is, a, is like a bit of like insurance. It isn't. I mean, it is similar in concept, but it isn't. Because you know, I mean, insurance is a, is a, is a, is a finite um, product. Like you know exactly that you are going to get this if this happens. Hedging, there are ways around it which, which things can go all right. And that's where I think it's so important to make sure that especially when it comes to any kind of trading, any kind of business in any way where there is risk involved and everything has risk. Even walking out of your house in the morning has got risk. You know, The way you hedge yourself against that risk is to make sure that you look both ways before you cross the street. Simple as that, that's your hedge, right? So real, real world scenarios. And, and, and the main thing that a lot of people forget, especially in business, and I'm not just talking about trading or commodities, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about in business, people need to make sure that the best way to hedge against any kind of risk is to let go of emotion. Mm. Simple as that. The moment that you get emotion to come into the picture, that's it. You're done. You can't be a trader. And that is, and that, that happens in a lot of different um, scenarios. Like a lot of, lot of uh, you know, entrepreneurs, they don't quite do a proper business plan to understand what are the risks of entry into a particular market, right? So if you don't understand the risk that is there, how can you even formulate a hedge should something go wrong? So it's extremely important to make sure that you do your, your groundwork, your planning moving forward. And that's the only way you can actually, you know, hedge against a risk in my opinion, because you have to obviously ensure that, uh, you keep emotion out that's absolutely you know important uh and you know hedging is basically just a it's it's, it's a management strategy especially when it comes to business to to mitigate against uh, or offset losses of investments in in one way or the other simple as that wow joseph uh, can can you teach people to take the emotion out of it because i i feel that's the hardest part of all of that right is, it is the emotion because people get so attached mm -hmm. and they're you know the fear sets in is that something that you're able to teach and do you do you help people with that 
or is this well, specifically see, for the, yourself? No, I mean, it's, it's something which can be, in my opinion, evolved. Uh, I think you can, you can teach someone to do that, but you can't, in my opinion, you can't sort of teach yourself specifically. Uh, I mean, you can practice upon it. And that's uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is like, uh, I've always had really good mentors and coaches, like from a, from a personal perspective, really good friends, like, you know, who are like my blood brothers, so to speak, you know, who've, who've, who basically like helped me back or basically given me a, you know, a kick up the backside when I needed to as well. I've had really good, uh, you know, managers and leaders who I've worked with, who've, who've acted as mentors uh, for me. I think, you know, the best way to control emotion is sometimes, I mean, emotion, the reason why, I mean, emotions are sometimes completely outside our control. And that's where it's important, it's imperative, it's imperative that you have someone who's actually going to keep you accountable. And that is one of the main reasons as to why I'm a firm believer and an advocate that you need to have a mentor or a coach. Now, a mentor or a coach, a lot of people feel that, you know, I don't want to make that investment in, in, in that, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But people don't realize the only way that you can actually make money or, you know, increase your wealth is by investing wisely. Now, it depends what you invest in. You can invest money, you can invest time, you can invest your social capital, you can invest your goodwill. A lot of things, right? But the word invest is absolutely essential. And that's why I feel investing in a coach or a mentor is essential. Now, a coach or a mentor need not be someone who has got all the accreditations or certifications, etc. It can be your best friend. It can be someone who you're really connected with. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. I love that. They feel that a coach or a mentor needs to come with labels attached to them, right? I'm a firm believer of tearing up labels and that starts from everyday life, not just, you know, other people around you or other races or religions or whatever, you know, we've had 100%. so many things happening in the world at this present moment, but it's so important, especially, you know, uh, that people tear up the labels of when they actually feel of what they require to move forward, to invest in their own self-development and their own personal development. So yes, you can uh, control your emotions, but that needs intentional thinking and intentional investment in yourself uh, moving forward. It's absolutely essential. Man, I really love what you're saying there, especially the accountability part. Um, mm -hmm. On the business side of what we do, we teach yeah. different courses. And one of the courses we teach is how to help people write their first book. And right. it's mm -hmm. an amazing process because, you know, mm -hmm. many people want to write a book. Correct. But I think where we add the most value is holding mm -hmm. people accountable, um, knowing mm -hmm. that we have weekly Zoom calls just like this with a group of people yep. that they know on a Sunday afternoon they have to get on their call and talk about their progress for the week. There's something to yep. that where whether it's that or whether it's what you do, um, the, mm -hmm. the coaching part, when, when you're accountable to someone, and we all need it. It doesn't matter where mm -hmm. we are in the, on the ladder, right? It's, it's just a great mm -hmm. thing to, to be accountable. Even to our own family, accountable, you know, so, to our responsibilities in life. So I'm so glad mm -hmm. you touched on accountability because it, it, it is well. a very important component to everything we do. Checks and balances, mate. You know, checks and balances are essential. You know, anything, anything in, uh, you know, uh, if, you, if you overdo anything in life, 
it's bad. Simple as that. You know, you have to keep, you know, checks and balances with whatever you do. And the only way to do that is, is to hold yourself accountable or have someone who holds you accountable. Yes. So, yeah, spot on. So let's dive into negotiation. I know that's uh -huh. another... Favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So walk Love us it. through that. Do you have any stories? How, how do you want to introduce negotiation to us? Because it's such a broad term. Yeah. But yeah. I, I could already see how you it, it, it probably plays into a lot of what you do. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, negotiation, I think uh, the foundation of negotiation is in is in two things. Uh, and that's basically your years and your mouth. Simple as that. And they need to be used in the ratio that God has given them to us in. You need to listen more and talk less. That's negotiation 101, in my opinion. That's the only way you can negotiate. I, why do I say this? I mean, negotiation is obviously, you know, lots of other steps. You know, you've got five-step processes, seven-step, 10-step, 15-step processes and processes and negotiations that, that gurus and pundits and experts and specialists have, have written books on. But in my opinion, the, the only thing about negotiation is you've got to be present in the moment. You've got to listen to what the other person's saying. You've got to know what you want and you need to, very, very important, be able to hold on to what you actually want out of the deal. You can never go into a negotiation, you know, keeping in mind that you're going to be able to discount what you really want. And, you know, negotiation, in my opinion, is also got to, to do with how you look at life as well, right? There are so many people who actually hold themselves back based out of fear of judgment, fear of failure, etc., and they don't do what is required because they feel that they're going to fail. If you go in with a similar mindset, especially if you're going, you know, into a negotiation, you're doomed from 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 word go. Simple as that. I mean, so it's important. Like the first step of negotiation, obviously, you know, you have to plan, you know, you need to know what you're doing, you need to prepare, you need to know the topic, you need to know what you want out of that deal, etc. You need to, the other part, which is essential, which a lot of people actually, they don't do more of, is you need to research, you need to plan out, especially with regards to the person who you're going to be sitting across from. You need to know, or you need to try and figure out the cards that they are holding close to their chest. Now I'm using a lot of card analogies and I'm not a gambler. Okay. I'm a poker player. I used to play a lot of poker. I've not played poker in like years now, but the thing which I love about poker is like, you know, if you take little aspects of poker, you can actually really put that across into strategies in business. And I, and I find it very, very interesting. Like the biggest negotiation at the poker table, which I have seen is basically someone playing a bluff and, you know, someone trying to basically trying to call their bluff and they are literally not courageous enough to actually call it, but they know it's a bluff, but you know, that's, that's how you become a good negotiator. Uh, again, emotions need to be kept under check. And uh, another aspect in negotiation, which in my opinion, I've seen so many senior leaders actually fail. And it's something which uh, my first uh, sort of uh, mentor in Australia, who was my immediate boss at Telstra. Um, I used to, my first, my first proper job was actually uh, in, in telecommunications in Telstra, which is uh, the government's owned uh, arm for, uh, 
for telecommunications phone service provider, a bit like uh, I think uh, AT and T in okay. the in the US. So my my first mentor, he was my immediate boss, and uh, I remember he told me that, you know, the one thing that I want you to do is like when you actually put your cards on the table. Now he he said it like that, but you know I understand exactly what he means. So when you've actually told someone what you want, tell them and just zip it. The power of silence is so important in negotiation because sometimes, and I've seen so many people and I've done a lot of sales trainings, uh, you know, across multiple industries. And I, the first thing which I tell people, the first thing that I tell people who I train is like, don't be afraid of silence. Mm. The person who actually breaks the silence first is the one who loses. Simple as that. I mean, there have been situations where I've actually sat across the table and I've, and I've basically told what I want. I basically made the offer. I basically said, this is what it is. This is what I want. And I've just sat there and I've just looked at them and they've looked at me for like two minutes. <laughs> wow. It, it's awkward. It can be awkward, man. It can be really awkward when you're actually negotiating like uh, billion dollar projects, uh, you know, government contracts, etc. It can be really awkward. But the thing is, you just you just tell them this is this is what I have. This is this is what it takes. In the balls in your heart. I love that the discipline right of that is yep. so crucial to a negotiation. Mm -hmm. And and it, again, yeah. it goes back to a lot of these things that you told us earlier. Like I could remember mm -hmm. you leaving the wall in the car, right? That's yeah. a discipline, and you have mm -hmm. to follow that. And and you you put the the stopwatch on, and you have to follow that. When you say you, what you're going to do, you, you be silent and then you, re, exactly. you kind of honor that, right? Yeah, yeah, spot on, spot on. And, and the, other, uh, the other part of negotiation, mate, uh, which I think a lot of people um, fear a bit, especially if you're in sales, um, you always want to get that deal across the line, right? Everyone wants to get the deal across. And no one likes to fail in a negotiation and, and walk away um, you know, not having not having gotten this, you know, the sign on the dotted line, but you need to be courageous enough to walk away. If you know that what you have on the table is valuable, you need to be able to walk away. And see, this is another element from life, which is very very important. Like you know, we, we see so many motivational speakers, etc. You know, who, who talk about uh, it's so important to sometimes just let go and let God. Right. Yes. And just just walk away from situations because you know something's meant to be, it will happen. But if you chase something continuously, they will just keep keep going away. It's like you know the the butterfly analogy, right? You're in a garden, you you know there are butterflies flying around. You try to chase them, they're going to flutter away. The moment you actually stand still and you just put your arm out, you know they're going to come and sit on your finger. So it, it, so that's the thing. You need to walk away. You need to basically first element emotionless in negotiation if you go in with emotions you're doomed simple as that you need to go in with a with with a straight face you need to know what you want and that is essential you need to know what you want because if you don't know what you want then you know there's there's no point in going into the uh, negotiation table at all so when you're going into a negotiation joseph mm -hmm. how important is your mindset to be ready to be prepared i know you talked about preparation but what do, yep. can you give us some tips on what you do mentally to prepare for, especially, I guess it doesn't matter the size because it's irrelevant. Just any negotiation yeah. is important. Yep. What do you do mm -hmm. mentally to prepare? 
Okay, so uh, there is this uh, there is this TED talk um, which a lot of people may know of, uh, Amy Cuddy, yes. which is basically on on uh, on on, ba- on on different body language uh, yes. tips and tricks, right? Whenever I go into any kind of a negotiation, I I, I do like a like a like a Superman pose, right? Like this, you know, for two minutes, just, just standing like wide and strong. It it, it raises your your, your, your hormones, it, it raises your cortisol levels. It raises a lot of different things. It, 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 it gets you into a zone. Like, uh, um, you know, I'm, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's something obviously, which, which takes time. It takes preparation. It takes practice. It takes uh, experience. Like, um, you know, I, I've always been on camera for a long time. I've been on stage, etc. but every single moment before I actually get the camera is rolling or before I actually step on stage, I'm nervous. But the moment I see the red light on my camera, I'm in the zone. And that is what you need to basically just snap into it, right? And it's, it's, it's not something that, that comes immediately. A lot of people feel that they can be great negotiators just because they are good communicators. No, you can't be a great negotiator if you're just a good communicator. You need to have number, you need to be a good reader of the person in front of you. You need to be. Uh, you need to be. You need to have very high emotional intelligence. That's very, very important. You need to be able to read the person. I'm not telling you to go out and do body language courses or anything along those lines. But if you aren't able to read the emotions of the person that they are, you know, the way they're talking, you know, the way they're moving their hand, the gestures that they're making, etc., you can never be a good negotiator. So, I mean, a couple of things which I do, especially before I go into any negotiations, I do. I do power posing. Uh, by Amy Cuddy. I mean, anyone who's watching, uh, please uh, just just type on on Google, you know, Amy Cuddy, A M Y C U D D Y power pose. Uh, watch that 18 minute long uh, video on uh, on her TED talk on YouTube. It's it's. I'm telling you that may be the most important video that you watch if you're a leader. Simple as that. If you if you if you are doing negotiations, if you are doing uh, you know strategic takeovers, you know, digital transformation, whichever field you're in. If you are communicating with stakeholders, if you're communicating with your customers, it's essential because your body language gives off a lot of soft cues, which you may not even be aware of and which uh, which may play a significant role in any negotiation that you do. Wow. Thanks for that. Any any discussion that you have. Yeah, Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes for sure for people to click on it. Excellent. So great. Mm-hmm. Take us into a negotiation. So say you and I are negotiating something and what, mm-hmm. so what are some of the things you might be looking for um, body language on my side that may kind of mm-hmm. tip you off one way or the other? Are you looking at eye yeah, contact? I'm, are you looking at hesitation? Everything? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would look at a few things like I'm, I'm going to now see what I'm doing now, obviously, because I'm, I'm maintaining eye contact with my with the audience who's actually watching me on screen. So I'm actually not looking at you on my on my laptop screen. I'm actually looking at my camera on the laptop. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm taking a couple of glances here and there just to see you sometimes and see myself to make sure that I'm centered in front of the camera. But I am making sure that I'm putting my eye contact. So uh, let's let's say, for example, for this exercise, I'm actually going to look at you, right, rather than at the than at the laptop screen. Okay. Uh, and it's the first thing is eye contact. You have to you have to try and read the person. Like the way you are sitting at this present moment with your with your hand right in front of you, like this, that shows that uh, you you are confident in what you do. 
but you're a bit unsure as to as to how to put across your your feelings or put across what you're wanting to bring across to the table right you are you are you are sitting at this present moment and and this is something which you know i've had a couple of my really close mentors actually teach me over time uh you, you are sitting in a, in a in a relaxed position but it it feels that you are you've got a lot of things in your mind and you're continuously changing your body posture so that shows that shows to me immediately that you are not very confident in whatever you're going to say next in our negotiation uh table at this present moment got it but uh, so th these are these are very very important. Uh, another another aspect, and everyone talks about it, uh, Roger, is that you have to mirror the person who you're speaking to, um, and that's that's absolutely essential. So the person who actually mirrors, in my opinion, is the person who actually fails, uh, especially in a negotiation. Now I'm not talking about in a in a sales closing. There's a big difference between a sales closing and a negotiation. In uh, what I'm talking about, sales closing is like when you're when you're actually talking to people, right? Uh, with regards to the products and services, the solutions that you provide, and the services that you provide, you're basically wanting to to get into their comfort zone, if that makes sense. Yes. Okay. You need them to buy into you. You need to get them to know, like, and trust you. That's where you need to obviously mirror them. However, in a negotiation table, in my opinion, it, it is completely different because the moment you're mirroring someone, you're actually following them. Now, if you want to come out as the, as the, as the winning negotiator in, in, in any uh, aspect, you need to have more of an alpha presence, if that makes sense. Now, that, that means a lot of things. You need to, you need to ensure that uh, you know, the alpha presence comes from a lot of different attributes. Number one is obviously you need to make sure, and again, this is something which a lot of people forget, is like they don't do enough research on, their, on the person that they're negotiating with. Never, ever go into a negotiation if you don't know who you're talking to, right? Uh, I, I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about like little contracts like, like your, your phone bill, you know, where you're talking to someone. Right. I'm talking about like proper contracts. Like you need to know who you're going to be sitting across the table from, because if you want to actually, I mean, if it's, if it's something which is straightforward, that's, that's different. But if you know for a fact that, you know, there are going to be certain roadblocks, which, uh, which have come up in, in, in previous communications. And that's the reason why you're going to actually sit across someone at the table to negotiate certain terms and conditions. You need to ensure that you know who you speak, you're speaking with. You need to know what position that they have in the company. You need to very, very well know the decision-making power that they have. That is essential. When you're going into a negotiation, you know what decisions you can make, whether you are the CEO of your firm or whether you are actually, um, you know, someone who's negotiating on behalf of the CEO, you will have some pre-ascribed pre guidelines to which you can negotiate to, right? So I'm talking about like contractual margins, etc. So you need to know that the person who you're speaking to, what kind of, you know, uh, they have. Authority, well. as far as signing authority or decision-making is, is, exactly. is able to be made. Exactly. Great points, exactly. great points. Wow. Yeah. Now, do you coach people in this regard? Do you coach people uh, to, to negotiate? Uh, I have, I have, um, I have in my, 
you know, when I was in when I was in Australia, uh, I I have coached uh, some of my senior team leaders in in sales teams to be able to be better negotiators. Uh, you know, watch out for little cues, tips and tricks, um, basically. Uh, and in my opinion, the first thing in negotiation is maintaining eye contact. Uh, it's it's absolutely essential. That is a that is another alpha element which is eye contact. The person who looks away loses. Simple as that. You know, we, we, we've learned from, you know, our kindergarten days, you know, when, you know, you had two kids looking into each other's eyes just to just to see who would look away first. And uh, it, that's, a, that's the same thing. That's another alpha concept. Um, you know, these are little, little tips uh, and, and little things which a lot of people actually forget. And it, it's, it's something which, uh, you know, it takes practice. It's not something that, you know, you can just send someone in like completely cold, do a negotiation on a very important aspect. They've never actually, you know, been there, done that in any way. Can you, can you, can you be taught to become a great negotiator? Absolutely. Absolutely. Each and every person, uh, you know, can be taught to be, become a great negotiator as long as they have good perceptive skills as long as they are perceptive of the person in front of them, as long as they are good listeners, as long as they can communicate effectively. And uh, it's absolutely essential that a person has a high emotional intelligence, essential. So Joseph, earlier you talked about knowing when to walk mm -hmm. away. Yep. How do you know? What, wh where is that point? And is it different for every negotiation? Or can you give us an example mm -hmm. of maybe when would be the right time to walk away? Because you don't want to do it prematurely either. Spot on. Uh, and, and, and that's where I think, uh, you know, it's important sometimes you, you and you, you said it, you know, uh, each and every negotiation is different. You have to know, obviously, how much you're willing to give to get, if that makes sense. And, and that is that is, you know, when you've reached a bit of an impasse, for example, a great time to walk away is when you are telling the person you are negotiating with and you know that what you're asking them to do is above their decision-making level. So the best time to walk away from a negotiation, you tell them, okay, Roger, these are my terms and conditions, etc. blah, blah, blah. Uh, I want you to think of it and I want you to get back to me. Thank you very much. I'm out. That's it. And that is, that is, that is again, an alpha situation that you brought up there because you are the one who's actually setting the rules. And that is important in a negotiation, and uh, it, it depends from 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 uh, you know product different industries as well as to how you negotiate as well. Um, yeah, but but it's it's and that's where it's important to make sure that you know what you're talking about, you know exactly what you want, you know exactly how much you're willing to give, and you know exactly what you want to get. And uh, it's essential to know, obviously, the background of the person who you're negotiating with. So if you're in the middle of a negotiation and the person yeah. is using a higher up as leverage yeah, yeah. to either get out of something or uh, yeah. you know, buy some Happens time. Happens all the time. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I know I've been there. Um, yeah. How do you navigate around that? Same thing. Take the offer off the table. Simple as that. You know, uh, everyone has got a fear of loss. Uh, you know, the fear of missing out, right? FOMO, F-O-M-O. <laughs> right. uh, take, take, don't hesitate to take the offer off the table. Just say, that's it. I'm taking the offer off the table. If you aren't able to make a decision, and we've been talking about this for like a few weeks now or a few months or whatever it is, some negotiations take years, but uh, 
feel, you know, have that courage to actually look them straight in the eye and say, this is my offer. And, you know, you've been beating around the bush for a little while. Um, I'm taking it off the table at close of business today. Simple as that. So take the offer off the table. If someone is using excuses when you know that they don't need a higher up to authorize them to make a decision regarding certain aspects, you know that it is within their decision making or pay grade for that matter to make that decision, take the offer off the table, see how it changes. And as you say, call their bluff. Call their bluff. Poker, poker <laughs> parlance, mate. <laughs> That's great. Joseph, let's talk about brand marketing, something you really love. And, and I know you're doing such yep. an amazing job on LinkedIn. I would love to spend a little bit of time kind of talking about LinkedIn. Please. How did you grow your network so vast? Um, and, 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 and talk about the branding portion of that, mm -hmm. please. Um, okay, so just from a LinkedIn perspective, uh, my, my journey on LinkedIn has actually not even been two years yet, uh, just <laughs> so you know. Um, I, I actually started becoming active on LinkedIn on the 5th of August, uh, 2018. And the reason I actually even started getting active on LinkedIn is because I was actually at a, at a bit of a, a career crossroads at that time. And I was wanting to look into my next career opportunity. And a few of my friends out here in Singapore were like, you know, are you on LinkedIn? And I was like, no, what is that? I mean, I've heard of it. And uh, they're like, uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great place. It's a professional networking site where you can actually uh, meet with, uh, you can, you can you know, interact with recruiters and hiring managers, et cetera. There are jobs that they play, you know, uh, post and stuff. I was like, ah, okay. So it's like, uh, it's another job posting site. So that was my initial uh, reaction towards LinkedIn. So I come in into LinkedIn, I, you know, <clears throat> And I start following a few people and, you know, reaching out to recruiters, you know, looking at a couple of jobs, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And then I came to realize this is, this is not your, this is not a job posting site. This is a, this is actually a networking site. It is, it is, it is social networking, simple as that. And, uh, and I think, you know, the, it took me a couple of months to actually realize that. And I, you know, right in the beginning, I was reaching out to recruiters and, uh, you know, talk, just sending them my resume, you know, just, just out, you know, in just cold. Uh, sending them my resume saying that I saw this job, you know, thank you so much, you know, blah, blah, blah. Please have a look at my resume. How many replies did I get? Zero. Zero, mate. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of, that's the mistakes that a lot of people make. They see LinkedIn as basically a place where they can uh, dump their CV. And, uh, and somehow magically, you know, they will be transformed uh, into, into their next, uh, you know, job opportunity. It doesn't work like that. Uh, you know, the, the only way you can actually get LinkedIn to work is by basically putting in your personality into whatever you're talking about or however you're actually bringing value to others around you. And uh, I think I, the only way I actually um, feel, in my opinion, that I've been able to grow my network uh, is because I've just been really genuine and authentic. And I know these are buzzwords which a lot of people use, but, you know, what you see is what you get. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big believer and I'm a big advocate of basically having, making sure that your online persona is equal to your offline personality. Simple mm -hmm. as that. If it's not that, you know, you, you're, you know you're there's no integrity about you. I mean, if someone asks me to, to define myself in one word, I would say integrity. Uh, a lot of my friends on LinkedIn, if you ask them, how do you define Joseph in one word, they will say integrity. Because whatever I do, the way I say, the way I speak, the way I interact, you know, that is something which I wear 
on my sleeves, quite literally, is integrity. And uh, that's what people resonate with. If you're the same in person as uh, they see on screen, uh, that, that's, that's what people resonate with. They want, they want to have that human connection. They want to make sure, they want to understand that you know, they know you as a person. And I think that's one of the main reasons as to why uh, you know, I have, I, 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 I've, been, I've been blessed uh, quite literally to actually having met a, a number of really amazing people on LinkedIn uh, who have guided me in my, in my starting phase. Uh, you know, a few people, um, and this is obviously going to go on LinkedIn uh, with the with the link on there as well to watch the full episode. So I'm going to give a shout out to to three people actually, um, who actually made me do my first video. Uh, I never wanted to actually come on come on camera. I mean, I'm not camera shy or anything along those lines. But things I never wanted to actually do come on come on screen and do a video and do a video sharing. And uh, uh, Corey Warfield uh, from, yes. from from Chicago. Uh, he's, he's a brother, um, uh, Melvin, Melvin Tan from uh, Singapore okay. and uh, Aaron Nason from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. These are three people who literally, literally used to WhatsApp me every single day saying, Joseph, when's your first video coming out? That's it. And was that happening That's independently? It. Did they know each other or were they doing that no. on their own? No, 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 no. On their own from, from wow. three different angles. And I was like, all right. So, and, and, and then suddenly it was, it was another very interesting aspect, which actually pushed me. Obviously, you know, they were encouraging and pushing me as well. But, you know, there was one day when I did one post and, uh, and one of my, one of my uh, connections on LinkedIn sent me a DM message saying that someone had plagiarized that post and put, put that up, right? It was a written post. And, and when they plagiarized that post and put it up, I mean, they even used my hashtag, which is rise and raise. <laughs> I'm like, come on, like, really, come on. I mean, but it was really funny. And I was like, all right, um, that's it. I'm going to start doing videos, right? You know, you have to be really good at CGI monitoring <laughs> yeah. and, and stuff, you know, to, to, to put your face in my face, right? right? And, and change my voice, etc. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a great story. Video journey. That's a great story. Yeah, that, wow. that, that's how I saw my, my video journey, mate. So, so but uh, yeah, I mean, LinkedIn, I think, I think the, the reason as to why I've been able to build so many relationships is because number one, I'm not scared to be myself. Now, a lot of people mistake not being scared to be yourself to vulnerability. There's a huge difference. Like uh, you can, you can sometimes uh, a lot of people, what I see on social media, not just on LinkedIn, on every social media, it's like they're always playing for the pity vote, mm. right? And, and that is, that is not vulnerability. That's you are trying to take advantage of, of the inherent goodness that people have within them. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is, that is in my opinion, that's not persuasion, that's manipulation. And that's something which I absolutely hate. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's important. I, I have always been myself and I think that's what people see in whatever I do. I do a lot of videos, as you know, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a LinkedIn live broadcaster as well. So uh, I think, I think people have seen me over the last almost two years and they have seen that now Joseph is actually like this and people who've met me, like, uh, whenever they've come to Singapore, uh, people reach out to me and they're like, Hey, do you want to catch up and stuff? Yeah. I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, I think another, another, another really good element is like, you know, you just have to be out there. You've got to be in the, in the, in, in front of people, you've got to be in people's minds. And I think, uh, another aspect, especially in the last, uh, so to give you an example, Roger, I mean, on the 1st of Jan, 
2020 or 2020, 1st of January, the total number of followers that I had was 29,800 or so. It was just under 30,000 followers, just under. So from the 1st of January to today, I'm sitting at about 130,000 followers approximately. Uh, a couple of things which I which I changed in my strategy, which I don't know, maybe that 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 helped, um, you know, attracting more people algorithm wise. I don't know. I started posting daily. Yes. And uh, I started posting multiple times. So two times a day I started posting. Uh, I've, I've gone back to just one time a day now. But uh, what I'm trying to say is like, there is no right or wrong time, if that makes sense. There is no right or wrong amount of posts that you can do. But what I started focusing on, especially this year, is I completely flipped around the 80-20 rule or the Pareto principle. A lot of people say, and you've got so many LinkedIn police uh, you know, out there saying that, oh, this content is for Facebook or this content is for Instagram. I'm like, what are you talking about, right? If someone puts a, puts a video of a, of a dog or a cat, you know, being treated at a vet for whatever reason, how is that content for Facebook, you know? Uh, LinkedIn is a professional networking site. A veterinarian is a professional you know, who does his job. So if, you know, these are just little labels, little, you know, perspectives that we really need to get rid of, you know, uh, and that is, that is important. So what I, what I started doing, I'm not saying that, you know, you should only, you know, reformat videos from YouTube and put that on LinkedIn. No, don't do that. But the thing is what I have, what I started doing is like, uh, I literally like beat myself up quite literally, you know, metaphorically, uh, and was like, you have to be yourself. You've got to let people know who you are. Like people resonate with people want to do business with you. People like you, people want to know you more if they actually see you for the real you. And that is, that is something very, very important and very powerful. A lot of people actually say that on LinkedIn that, you know, you should post 80% of the time, uh, you know, things that you actually do professionally. And about 20% of the time, other stuff. I say do the opposite. No kidding. You should post, you should post 80% of the time of things like which you are passionate about. You know, your musings, you know, what you think, you know, little, little things that you've seen and you, you, you've done a, a bit of a, you know, a, a connect back to what you do. Like uh, you may have seen, uh, and most of the people who may be watching this episode may see that now I, I do a couple of quotes, you know, from sometimes, you know, picture quotes sometimes and a couple of videos here and there uh, and stuff. But I, I always sort of tap it back into something to do with leadership, management, yes. negotiation, strategy. And, you know, that's what people understand, right? And that they can see that. And, and, and I, I'm not scared to share my musings. Uh, you know, if it's something which I, I wanted to talk about one day, like I, I shared something uh, about uh, salt and rice the other day. Yes. It was, it was a very interesting uh, WhatsApp forward, which I got, which, uh, which is really, really important. Like, uh, you know, you don't, you know, when you're cooking rice, you don't put the same amount of salt when you're cooking rice. A little amount of salt makes a huge difference. So, you know, that's the thing, you know, that what, what, you're, what you're focusing on sometimes can be the wrong thing. Uh, you know, uh, the light in a room, you know, it's, uh, if you see the ratio, the proportion of the size of that light bulb and the size of the room, it's, uh, it's enormous. It's 5,000, 10,000 is to one, if not even more. It's not about the size, but it's about, you know, what you have within you. 
a little light bulb can actually basically light up an entire room, right? And the moment you flick the switch and it goes off, it, you know, the room's plunged into darkness. So it's not about, it's not about, and what I'm going to say here is like, don't just post on LinkedIn because you have to post, right? Just because you feel as if you have to post once a day or twice a day or whatever, or a hundred times, and I don't care. But don't just post because you have to post. It doesn't matter whether a thousand people come and react to your, um, to your stuff or only 20 people come and react to your stuff, right? Some of these things are completely outside your control, completely. I mean, the, the, the algorithm changes every single day. You know, sometimes when you, when you tag yourself in the post, it works better. Sometimes you do the same thing the next week, it doesn't go anywhere. So, you know, you just have to keep doing one thing, which is being yourself and just trying to provide value. If you keep trying to provide value, the right people are going to be attracted towards you because they will actually see that you are being consistent. And the other thing which I, which I think uh, is, is absolutely imperative if you want to be successful on LinkedIn or rather stand out from other people is engage. If you don't engage with others, if you feel that you can just do a post and just, you know, uh, you know, do a helicopter drop off and just expect people to come and, and, and crawl over all of your posts without you ever having engaged with any of theirs. It's never going to happen. Yeah. You know, the, the law of reciprocity is, is absolutely important and it's essential. And, and that's something which I think LinkedIn is one of the most organic platforms out there at this present moment. I mean, I heard from people that people can buy followers as well nowadays on oh. LinkedIn, which is ridiculous. I and mean, why would anyone want to do that? Yeah. I mean, I've, I, Okay, Roger, I mean, Vanity. I've had people actually, I've had people actually ask me, did you buy followers? And I was like, I didn't even know you could buy followers. And then I actually went on Google to search for it. And I, and I saw that there are companies out there which actually sell you followers. I'm like, terrible. why would you do that? Yeah. It's terrible. It's, it defeats it's, the purpose of it anyway. Defeats the purpose. Yep. But you know, with social media, you know how it is. People focus on vanity metrics. Yes. Don't focus on vanity metrics. Don't try to be someone you're not. You know, be yourself. Just be yourself and you know, provide value in whatever you do and the right people are going to get resonated towards you. And Joseph, the, your story is, is so relevant right now because you, mm -hmm. you, you received 100,000 followers in about six months, Correct. a little over six months. That's Correct. incredible Correct. and it's all organic and it's because of what you said. Yeah. And, and by mm -hmm. the way, you're not the first person I've talked to that had mm -hmm. this you know, huge trajectory based yeah. on being genuine. So I'm glad exactly. that that is being reinforced here. Um, if you can, uh, one last question on this topic. Please. You said Please. You, earlier in the conversation, you spend quite a bit of time every single day um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, commenting on posts and having that interaction. Yes. About how much time, just so we have an idea? <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, you're, you're opening up a can of worms here, brother. Uh, I mean, <laughs> but it's just okay, good for I frame of reference. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, I mean, uh, the way I sometimes deal with LinkedIn is is not uh, not how you'd like to do it because you know I I can I it's it's something which I I don't know it's happened over a period of time I can I can function at work on a normal ten hour or nine hour work day with like three hours of sleep. Not many people can do that. Um, so what I normally do I, I spend anywhere between five to seven hours a day on LinkedIn, and I've been doing it every single day since the 5th of August, 2018, every single day uh, in some way or the other, you know, you know, replying back to comments on my post, uh, going through my feed, um, you know, uh, engaging with other people's posts, uh, you know, just, just having DM conversations with people from around the world. 
Uh, even, okay, I'm going to, in my five to seven hours, I'm actually including time like this, where we are having a chat, Roger, right? Yes. Because you, you, you are, you're a connection of mine. You're a friend of mine from LinkedIn. So I, I consider this as LinkedIn time as well. Because, you know, I'm, I'm having a conversation with a friend from the other side of the planet. Uh, this is what net networking is all about. And uh, it's, it's, been, it's been made possible because we were connected via LinkedIn. So um, you, have to, you have to invest time. You have to invest effort. You have to invest genuineness. And you have to invest, uh, you know, the, the, the essence of actually wanting to make a difference in some way. Uh, you know, I, I try and... I try and summarize it in an acronym called CARE, C-A-R-E, okay. uh, which the C stands for connect meaningfully, not superficially. The A stands for appreciate feedback at every given moment. Uh, the R stands for relate, relate to others and their real needs and requirements. And that, that, that plays out beautifully in both a professional as well as a personal setting. Uh, the E stands for engage hmm. and uh, engage with the intention of providing value. So, you know, don't just, don't just comment on people's posts with just one word, like saying nice post or like a clapping sign or whatever, you know, uh, you don't need to make a paragraph comment as well. I, I can't do that anymore. I mean, I get, I get tagged hundreds of times a day nowadays, but you know, I, I, ca I can't go and comment on each and every post, but when I do make a comment, I make at least a, a line or a two line comment and makes, you know, a bit of a, uh, an effort. effort and that's what people yes people understand and that's what people remember they remember that effort and and the beauty of this platform is like you know the people from around the world you know they're just they're really really nice they're amazing people they're you know people inherently uh you know are good people yes. want to make a difference people want to be good with others uh it's it's just like uh, situations society which uh which basically bring out the demons in my opinion Joseph, I'm so glad we connected. I'm so glad to have this conversation and, and I'm, I'm honored really to, to be doing this with you today and to be sharing a piece of your story. Mm -hmm. um, a few last questions before I let you go, if you don't mind. Please, please. If you were to take out your cell phone right now uh -huh. and call uh -huh. the 20-year-old Joseph, is there yep. any advice you'd give him? Um, just one piece of advice, mate. Um, do not put other people on a pedestal. Simple as that. Wow. Don't put other people. I, I have made that mistake in my life, and that's something which I regret. Uh, a lot of people say, uh, motivational speakers, specialists, coaches say that you should never regret. Uh, I actually say that you should regret because, you know, failures are what you learn from. And if you don't acknowledge them, you will never be able to understand its real teaching. So 20-year-old uh, Joseph, I would say, do not put other people on a pedestal. Uh, you are leading your life, not someone else's. So you make sure that the person inside your head is you, not someone else. Love that. And last question before I let you go. Well, first, if people want to connect with you, is the best mm -hmm. place LinkedIn? LinkedIn is the best place. Uh, I do have Instagram and, and Facebook and stuff, but you know, I, I hardly go on there. Like, I mean, the last time I actually went on Facebook was on my birthday uh, last month. <laughs> so uh, that was in May. Uh, Instagram, no, hardly, hardly. Uh, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you know, my, my, my details are on LinkedIn. I have an open, open profile. So if you do want to connect with me, don't send me just a hi, that's it, or a hello. 
uh, if you do want if you do do want to connect you want to talk about something if you want my ideas uh, my inputs in, in regarding anything to do with sales business development marketing strategy negotiations risk management etc i worked in lots of different industries uh, across multiple geographies so uh yeah just, just let's have a conversation absolutely uh i, I love conversations uh you know I, I i speak too much sometimes but uh you know I, I listen intently and i truly want to make a difference to others around me and if there's some way that i can actually uh you know provide my my valuable insights in some way to better uh the situation of someone or answer any questions burning questions that they may have in in either a professional or personal uh circumstance uh, absolutely uh, let's uh, let's connect great do you have anything coming up that you'd like to share with us? Any um, events or, uh -huh. or online programs? Well, uh, you know, I'm not sure when you're going to be airing this, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm going to invite you to this. Uh, so the Create the Edge, which I do with uh, my, my co-host co and, and, and co-presenter and co-founder, Joy Abdullah from, uh, from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. So our season finale uh, is, is on Monday, the 6th of July. So uh, in the in the in the evening, uh, or rather morning, your time, nine thirty a.m. I'm not sure whether whether this is going to be aired by then, but uh, something which is coming up, I would say, is uh, hold on to your horses, hold on to your horses. I've got a couple of things on the cards. Um, in all in all probability, I will be back in Australia by the end of the year, and it's it's something which is really exciting. Which I'm uh, ideally, in my opinion, if everything works out. If all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, um, it's going to be something very exciting, uh, which is going to provide a lot of value to a lot of people. Uh, so hold on to your horses. Um, you know, I'm just, uh, I am who I am. The human CRM is like, as people try to, uh, as, as they call me, um, I connect people from all around the world uh, because that's what I do. I, I love, I love relationships. Fantastic. And Joseph, last question. At the end yeah. of the day, you still have a lot of work to do, a lot of life to live, but what type of mark are you trying to leave here on this earth and what do you want your legacy to be my legacy um that's a great question mate that is such a great question i mean sometimes i i i, I feel that i don't yet know uh what i would like to leave behind if that makes sense but a couple of things which i would ideally like to champion causes I'm very, very passionate about a few things. Number one is I'm very, very passionate about animal rights. I'm a huge animal lover. Uh, well, you know, lifetime member of the Worldwide Fund for Nature and the RSPCA. Um, you know, so that's number one is animal rights. Number two is ideally I want to make sure, and I would love if that is ever possible, that uh, no one on this planet uh, should go without clean drinking water two square meals a day and a roof over their head. It's important. And the last thing in my opinion is like, I feel, um, and I think this is what governments really need to do quite a lot. Uh, just, just, just allocate 5%, not even 1% of your defense budget for crying out loud every year on education. That's it. Just try and get it more affordable to people, you know, your, your, your citizens. I mean, education is so important, so important. Yes, life is the best educator, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But nothing, nothing beats a proper education in school. Well said. 
Joseph, you are an inspiration. Welcome to the American Real family. Thank you so much for your time, and I look forward it. to seeing lots more from you in the future. Thank you so much. Uh, it really was a pleasure speaking with you, Roger, and thank you for the time. Thank you for inviting me on uh, American Real. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we can help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.